Welcome to Fisher & Paykel Healthcare's Results Conference Call. My name is Cynthia, and I'll be your operator for today's call. At this time, everyone except the guest speakers will be in listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. We ask for your assistance in keeping the call to a maximum of one hour. If assistance is required at any time, please press the star followed by zero on your phone and wait for a coordinator. If you require further assistance, you should redial into the call. Please note this conference call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the call over to Marcus Driller, VP Corporate. Please go ahead. Thank you, Cynthia. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the conference call for Fisher & Paykel Healthcare's first half results for the 2024 financial year. On the call today are Lewis Graydon, our Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer, Lyndall York, Chief Financial Officer, Paul Shearer, Senior VP of Sales and Marketing, and Andrew Somerville, our VP of Products and Technology. Lewis and Lyndall will first provide an overview of the results and then we'll open up the call to questions. We'll be discussing our results for the half year ended 30 September 2023. Earlier today, we provided our 2024 interim report including financial statements and commentary on our results to the NZX and ASX. These documents can be accessed on our website at fphcare.com forward slash investor. With that, I'd now like to turn the call over to Lewis. Okay, thanks Marcus and welcome to the call everyone. Uh, I'm going to be referring to the investor presentation pack that we released to the NZX and the ASX this morning if you'd like to follow along. I'll start on page 3 with some of our recent highlights. Our new Fisher & Paykel solo mask was released in New Zealand and Australia in the half. We think this is quite a significant step forward in mask innovation and we'll be gradually rolling this out to more markets in the new year. We've continued to invest in our sales team, particularly in the anaesthesia space. Our Guangzhou facility in China is progressing well and that's on track to be operational in the first six months uh, of the next calendar year. Uh, we got 510k approval for the 950 from the United States Food and Drug Administration during the half and we recently showed this at the ARC, American Association of Respiratory Care Conference in Nashville along with Airbo3 to a pretty strong reception last month. Um, Evo 3 is currently available in the United States and the 950 will be available in the new year. We marked the formal opening of our third building in Tijuana, Mexico and we welcome Graham McLean onto the board. Graham brings a good depth of medical device experience uh, having spent more than a decade in regional leadership roles in our industry with Stryker. So now if we move on to uh, financials on page 4 First half operating revenue was $803.7 million. This is a 16% increase from the first half of the 2023 financial year and that's in both reported and constant currency, 16%. Net profit after tax for the first half was $107.3 million. That's up 12% on the first half of the 2023 financial year and that is 22% in constant currency. Um, I'll let our CFO Lyndall York provide more details on these um, on, the, on the figures shortly. But before that, um, we'll take a look at the, a quick look at the product group breakdowns. So, so first up, have a look at hospital on page six. Um, hospital operating revenue for the first half was 487.5 million dollars. That's up 11% year-on-year and 11% in constant currency also. New applications consumables revenue is up 20% year-on-year and that's 19% in constant currency. So against the backdrop of the first half last year, which included destocking coming from the Omicron surge at the end of 2022, we saw strong demand for hospital consumables across the product portfolio in this first half and hardware demand was solid. So turn now to home care on page 8. Home care operating revenue was $314.4 million. That's up 26% on the first half of 2023 or 25% in constant currency. 
OSA masks and accessories revenue was up 29%, that's 28% in constant currency. If four or full was introduced into the US during our first half last year, and our teams are continuing to receive very positive feedback on that mask's performance and comfort from our customers. Now before I hand over to Lyndall, I want to turn to page nine and give you some context on the strides we've made over the last few years. Now here we've tried to drill down into what has fundamentally changed in our business over the last four years. We've started with FY19, that's the last year we had no COVID impacts, and we've compared it to FY23, our last financial year. And I think this slide puts some context around a lot of what flows through the income statement and the balance sheet this year, and maybe um, into a, a few more years into the future yet. In the interim report, when we talk about the factors converging favourably and our foundations for future growth, this is what we're thinking of. And to just summarise this slide, we think we're very well placed in sales to deliver growth over the short term. We think we have a manufacturing infrastructure we can very efficiently grow into. And we think our accelerated R&D investment sets us up well for sustainable profitable growth over the long term. So on that note, I'll hand over to you now, Lyndall. Thanks, Lewis, and good morning, everyone. On page 10, gross margin increased by 65 basis points to 60.5% for the half, compared to the prior corresponding period. And that's up 192 basis points in constant currency. This continued our constant currency gross margin improvement. This half improving on the second half of last financial year by 72 basis points. Reduced freight costs account for the majority of this improvement over the prior corresponding period. We started negotiating reduced freight rates in the second half of last year. This half we also had a much lower proportion of our shipments going air freight, reflecting our inventory levels globally and improving supply chain speed and reliability. The return to our usual practice of working on efficiency and margin improvements is starting to show an impact. But these improvements have been largely offset by the inflationary cost increases now flowing into our gross margin. Moving on to page 11. Total operating expenses grew 16% in both reported and constant currency. This is as we expected, given the lower than targeted spend we had last year and keeping in line with our long-term trajectory for growth. Operating margin was 19%, an increase of 64 basis points, or 195 basis points in constant currency, reflecting the gross margin improvement. R&D expenses grew 15% to $97 million and were 12% of revenue for the half. We estimate that about 60% of our R&D spend will be eligible for the 15% R&D tax credit this year. SG&A expenses increased 17% to $237 million, or 16% in constant currency. Moving to page 12, operating cash flow this half was $156.5 million, up from $2 million last year. Last year was unusually low, as the growth in working capital in that half reduced our operating cash flow by $84 million. This half, our taxes paid is lower than usual as we prepaid tax during the 2023 financial year, requiring less tax to be paid this half. Our slightly higher working capital reflects receivables increasing, partly offset by a slight reduction in inventory. Capital expenditure, which includes purchases of intangible assets, was $275.5 million for the half. The increase of $151 million from the prior year is primarily due to the $190 million we paid this year for the Karaka land acquisition. Capital expenditure for the full year is now expected to be approximately $350 million, reflecting timing of building design and cash flows. Looking at the balance sheet, debtor days were largely in line with the prior year at 41 days. Net debt, 
at the 30th of September was $173 million and our gearing ratio was 9.1%. As expected, this has gone outside the top of our target gearing range as a result of the long-term strategic land acquisition. Interest-bearing debt was $243 million, all of it non-current. Turning to page 13, we have declared a fully imputed interim dividend of 18 cents per share. This represents a 3% increase on the interim dividend declared last year and continues our recent track record of increasing our dividends to shareholders. It will be paid on the 18th of December. Our dividend reinvestment plan remains available for eligible shareholders with a 3% discount to the market price. Looking now at foreign currency on page 14. Foreign currency movements negatively impacted our profit after tax by $5 million compared to the same period last year. At end of October spot rates, we would have a pre-tax loss from hedging of approximately $11 million for the full year. With that, it's back over to you, Lewis. Okay, thanks, Lyndall. So now we turn to page 15. We're providing guidance for the full year for revenue of approximately $1.7 billion, and that's at 31st of October exchange rates. Now, historically, sales of our hospital consumables are typically higher in the second half, and that reflects the seasonal patterns of hospital admissions. And this revenue guidance approximation includes that range of the pre-COVID historical seasonality in hospital consumables. And we've also guided to net profit after tax in the range of 250 to $260 million for the full year, again at those October 31st exchange rates. So now with that, I think we've left plenty of time for questions. Yeah, thanks, Lewis. <coughs> Cynthia, if I could uh, ask you to please open up the lines for questions. Uh, before we begin, though, can I please ask everybody to limit your questions to two? This is to ensure that everybody has an opportunity to participate. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you wish to register a question, please press star followed by one on your phone. And if you wish to cancel your registration, you may remove yourself from the queue by pressing star followed by two on your phone. Thank you. Thanks, Cynthia. Um, our first questions come from Gretel Janu at ENP. Please go ahead, Gretel. Thanks, good morning. Uh, firstly, just in terms of utilisation, um, I just want to understand how the New Sales team has been. Have you, have you started to see a return um, or any step up in utilisation since you've um, launched the New Sales team? Thanks. Okay, Gretel. Yeah, um, good question. Uh, as far as utilisation goes, we've kind of moved away from the concept of utilisation on the hardware base um, that gets complex when you look at the different usages and different patterns of usage of our hardware and we're more focused really just on the um, absolute number and I think when you look at the um, consumables growth for the half uh, you know you'd have to say that's, a, that's, that's hardware being utilised. But I guess I just wanted to get a bit more colour about the new sales team and whether there's been any kind of significant um, return that you're starting to see there. Sure. So um, in terms of sales team growth, um, we've added people in, I think now we're up to 17 countries around the world um, over the last two to three years. Uh, and I would say that's definitely turning in a result in terms of both hardware sales and um, utilisation. And then the other place where we've added uh, salespeople is in our anaesthesia sales force and uh, yeah, also definitely making a very strong contribution. Okay, thanks. Um, and then just my second question is just on inventory levels. So still very high, um, no real reduction since kind of the second half of 23. So is this now the new norm? Um, like, and just kind of think about relative to COVID, how much is this higher inventory level just due to volume versus higher price and high cost inventory? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Gretel. I'll, ta I'll take this one. Um, 
We typically build inventory through our first half um, as we head into Northern Hemisphere winter as well as our um, typical shutdown through the Christmas break. So we would normally expect to see uh, a reasonable increase in inventory in the first half. We actually have reduced finished goods slightly through the first half, so that really is reflecting, uh, a, a, in actual fact, a reduction of inventory compared to where we would normally be. Um, so look, we, we would still continue uh, to look to reduce that over time. Um, in terms of the, the split of sort of value versus volume, it's a little bit of both. The, the bulk of it is volume, but there's a bit of that, you know, price in there and cost in there as well. Great, thanks very much. Thanks, Gretel. Um, next questions come from Chris Cooper at Goldman Sachs. Thanks, morning. Um, just the, the the revenue guidance for 1.7 billion. Uh, I know previously you sort of indicated that the uh, the growth rates across the two divisions would be sort of comparable. Uh, you seem to have dropped that nuance today. So I, I was just after an update. Do you expect the sort of contribution from home care versus uh, hospital to be slightly different uh, than when you were speaking to us in August? Yeah, that's absolutely right, um, Chris. Uh, the difference there, you've got hospital hardware, you know, we gave you a fairly arbitrary number of 115 million. First half's come in maybe closer to 50. So uh, there's one change. And then the other change would be OSA masks kind of towards the top end of the range. Okay, and, and, and that's a development you expect to continue into the second half by the sounds of it as well. Um, home care significantly outperforming hospital. I wouldn't put it quite like that. I'd say if you if you drill down to the fundamentals, we haven't really changed our expectations for the second half. It's more about um, that's what's occurred in the first half. Okay, um, I, I've got a couple others. I, I, if I've got one other question, I'd probably uh, focus on gross margin. Um, sort of Lindell, I mean, you you talk to freight costs that come down. You're using less air. Um, I know previously you said of the gross margin pressure in 23, I think it was 230 basis points of that was still freight um, relative to pre-COVID. Of that 230 that was still a, a material headwind last year, how much of that is going to come back to us and how quickly does that happen? Uh, so, so of that freight, um, the improvement this half has it, pretty much the freight covers most of that, about 170 basis point improvement coming from freight compared to the first half of, of last year. So don't forget we're only talking a first half here as opposed to the full year. In terms of what's sort of still sitting in our gross margin um, this year and, and, and where we think we've sort of landed in terms of pricing, we think we've done the bulk of the, the negotiation of prices and, and we've been saying for the last couple of years we don't think that prices will get down to pre-COVID levels again. Um, and we've sort of landed at about a, a 90 basis point higher than where we were pre-COVID roughly um, in freight. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Chris. Uh, next question comes from Dan Huron at MST Marquee. Please go ahead, Dan. Oh, good morning. Thanks very much. I was wondering, could you talk to sort of journey possibly consumable sales across the half and the run rate you saw at the, the exit of the half compared to the start half? Uh, look, I'm sorry, Dan. That was really. Um low quality audio for us to try and understand. Can I just ask you to repeat the whole thing? Yeah, sorry, Dan. Yep, sorry about that. Was that better? I, hope. Um, I, I was hoping you could talk about the journey of hospital consumable sales across the half, uh, perhaps comparing the run rate you saw at the exit of the half to the beginning. Oh, that's a real complex one, Dan. Um, you know, you've got the complexities of what you're lapping, um, and then we've got quite a lot of regional variation, uh, again, depending on what you're lapping. Um, if you, it's more about what we're lapping than the journey. The journey during the half, I'd say, looks like a stable pattern and a steady progression. 
it's then if you compare it to what you're lapping, you're all over the place. Does that help you? Not really, but okay. Um, Try try again. I'll give you another another free question. <laughs> try again. No, no, no. That's, no, I understand it's complicated. But maybe just extend that. Like, what do you what are you lapping in the in the second half? I remember you called out some some late China COVID surge uh, in the second half of twenty three. What does that look like going forward? Oh, what are we lapping in our second half coming up? Uh, so you've yeah. got two things um, going on the second half coming up. You've got uh, China opening up towards the end, so you've got um, some surge demand in the second half that we're lapping. Uh, and then you've got an RSV surge also, largely in, um, largely in North America, but some effects elsewhere. And then when we get to OSA, um, we're lapping a second half where CPAP supply freed up and um, people were supplying a backlog of customers and we're lapping a second half that's a, uh, a full half of a Vora full release in North America. Right, so that, I guess the, the PCP gets, gets tougher in the second half, is that fair to say? Uh, I would say big time, yeah. Yeah, you've got some surge demand that you're lapping in hospital and you've got some supplying into backlog that you're lapping in uh, OSA. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Uh, next question comes from David Lowe at JP Morgan. Thanks very much. Um, most of the questions I've had coming in this morning have just been around the FX rates and given the FX rates have moved a lot since the update in August, what are the implications for the guidance that's been given? You know, what, what should we be expecting on the hedging front, please? Uh, yeah, sure, David. Um, yes, currency has been moving around a lot. In terms of impact to our profit before tax line, currency movements have a more muted impact because we've got you know, a solid hedging program in place. We ideally have uh, manage our net assets in currency to be minimal uh, to try and make sure that at the profit before tax line there's less impact coming from currency. But you will see it in individual line items coming through there. Um, so and then there's some tax implications on things like the balance sheet translations depending on which entity or where those translations are coming through from and that's what we saw particularly in the first half of last year which causes some weird looking comparables there. Um, in terms of what currency movement's done compared to what we were looking at back in May when we were sort of talking to you then, Again, at that bottom line, really not material. Um, and I'd say actually on individual line items, sort of revenue is the one that we've guided to, a bit of movement there, but nothing material. It's all within that approximation that we've been talking about. So at face value, I mean, the rates are better and therefore the profit ought to be improved as well. So I, I, the takeaway here is that that's largely offset by the hedging program. So if rates stay where they are, you can see the benefit next year perhaps. Uh, slowly over time, the, the, the aim of our hedging program is to uh, have a more smoothed impact from average exchange rates rather than uh, taking big hits and big gains uh, as rates move. Uh, so yes, if, if rates stayed down at this level over time, uh, we'd, we'd be sort of working towards slow improvements there. Um, but, but you're spot on the hedging program as well as the fact that we largely have, uh, we try to minimise the net asset exposure by currency uh, means that at, at the bottom line we, we have less of an impact. Great, thanks. And, and look, just the other topic I wanted to touch on, we, we've heard a lot about the GLP-1s, obesity drugs and potential implications for sleep apnea given the links between sleep apnea and obesity. Lewis, just wondering what your expectations or how Fisher and Parkle's thinking about that potential impact in some time to the future? 
Yeah, there's been a lot of commentary on that, and I, I, I won't repeat it, David. But um, look, our thinking is probably not much impact, and we get there just putting aside all the other intricacies of GLP ones. We get there just by it's the large market, still quite underpenetrated, and we have a relatively low market share. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. Uh, next questions come from uh, Craig Wong Pan at uh, RBC. Uh, thanks, and good morning. Um, thanks for providing the NPAT guidance um, for the full year. I was just wondering, with your comments previously around gross margins improving by um, approaching um, 200 basis points and our constant, cur uh, constant currency OPEX growth of 12%. Do those statements still stand or if not, could you provide any um, kind of colour on, on those items? Uh, yes, yeah, th thanks Craig. Obviously with currency having moved a little bit, when we talk about um, in reported numbers, they've moved a bit. They largely do sort of offset each other as, as we were chatting about on, on the previous question. Um, in terms of the 200 basis point improvement, that was constant currency we were talking about in May, that we were expecting around about 200 basis point improvement in constant currency, so that still does hold um, and no real change to that. What with these currency rates when we've redone this guidance at October rates, because those rates have been a bit favourable, we would expect that the reported gross margin now is closer to getting closer to the 150 basis point rather than the 100 basis point that we spoke about in May at those exchange rates. The other, it's the opposite effect for OPEX. Um, so previously in May we were talking about constant currency growth. That constant currency growth has not changed in terms of this guidance, but what it means in reported, instead of being that 12%, we're probably now looking at closer to about 14, 15% uh, in reported for OPEX growth. Okay, thanks. That's very helpful. And then my second question, just on the home care consumables, you know, quite a good result there. I was just wondering, are you seeing um, any particular sales from particular customers? Like, are you kind of gaining share um, as Philips has been kind of out of the market in uh, new patient sales, or are you seeing kind of any particular um, share changes there that are driving your very strong revenue numbers? That's Paul here, Craig. Um, I guess I think we'd view our, um, our growth pretty much across the board. You know, with most um, customers really, um, Vora Full has been an exceptional product for us. It's growing strongly. Um, so I think it's it's not really just with particular um, customers. It's really across the board. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Um, next questions come from Vanessa Thompson at Jefferies. Please go ahead, Vanessa. Good morning, and thank you for taking my questions. Um, just following on from Craig's question about masks, um, you've had obviously great results from the full face Evora. Um, the S&P Solo mask, when do you expect to launch that in the US? Yeah, we haven't put a hard date on that. We actually don't have a hard date. We're hoping it's early in the new year. It's um, For us, it's really as we get manufacturing up to speed and get manufacturing capacity stable, reliable, and enough volume, we'll release it. I think early new year would be our hope. Fiscal year. Fiscal year, yeah. yeah. Fiscal year, okay, thank you. Um, and then um, just one other question. On the, um, what should we expect for the tax rate for FY24, um, prepaid and tax in 23, which is obviously been a good outcome in the first half, I just wanted for the full year what we should be expecting. Thank you. Yeah, so typically we expect our tax rate, excluding the R&D tax credit, to be between 28 and 29%. And then layering on top of that the R&D tax credit, which we're estimating about 60% of our R&D spend to be eligible for that 15% credit. The only complexity with that is depending on where exchange rates end the year, if we've got big swings in our balance sheet translation, gains or losses that go into that financing expense or income, that's taxable or non-taxable and that can swing around that reported rate 
a little bit there. Um, but as a general rule, um, 28 to 29 effective tax rate and then reduce that by R&D tax credit and that's pretty much what we'll be expecting for the full year. Thank you. Thanks, Vanessa. Uh, next questions come from Saul Hadassan at Baron Joey. Please go ahead, Saul. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, Lewis, just going back to the uh, new app consumable sales for the half, um, if we look at the rate of compound growth going back to the, the half, I guess, pre-COVID, it looks like the growth rate's about 13%. Um, just wondering if you think it's a, a reasonable reflection of, um, you know, of the growth rate uh, that you expect to see, say, for full year 24, and is that a little bit lower than sort of the rate you would have expected to be sort of more towards the 20% range considering contribution from um, anaesthesia. Just wonder if you think that growth rate will accelerate uh, over the next couple of years as utilisation picks up on all those devices that have gone into the market. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, uh, complex question. Um, uh, you're on the money with the 13% and um, we do use our uh, rates against FY19 as one of our inputs for how we're going and our expectation. Um, how to think of it's a different thing, but um, you know, 13% that you quoted is, you know, it's pretty much on the long-term track, maybe a bit above. Then I think the other thing in terms of future expectation is there's some, some maths going on there. And if you have the investor pack, I'd take you to page... Um, the new app growth rate page, which is not popping up for me. New app growth rate history. If you take a look at that page, you'll find... Ah, got it, page 39. So if you look at the history of um, new app's growth, up until COVID, looks like kind of a steady decline. And the mess that you've got going on there is you've got part of the business with a higher growth rate so that naturally becomes more of the business as the higher growth rate component becomes more of the business the growth rate can decline whilst maintaining or even improving the growth rate of the whole business right if that makes sense so um, we've got that phenomena happening across our business um, you've got it in hospital consumables. As new apps becomes a bigger component, the growth rate can decline but maintain consumables growth. We've got it in hospital. As consumables becomes a bigger part of the business compared to hardware, you have the same phenomenon occurring. And then um, maybe not this half, but over the longer term, as hospital becomes a bigger component, you've got the faster growing part of the big business becoming a bigger component. So our expectation uh, it, well, when you say expectation, you know, it's a forecast of the future. But let's just say that new app growth rate uh, steadily coming back still meets your overall aspiration because it's a bigger and bigger part of the business. Oh, and then I left one out. Within new apps, you've got anaesthesia doing the same thing, a very small part of new apps, but growing at a you know, higher rate. So um, if I try and summarise all, all that up, I hope it made sense. You know, as you've got faster growing parts of the business becoming a bigger part of the business, uh, it's okay if that growth rate declines because you maintain your overall aspiration. Yeah, that makes sense. I think this just goes back to the maths of law of large numbers as it relates to new app consumables dollars sold and the ability to sustain that you know those dollars at a 20% growth rate rather than, as you say, you've seen that modest contraction in that growth rate over time, which is which is what we'd expect. I think there was some expectation, though, that with the release of um, new indications, for example, like anaesthesia, and potentially moving to other areas as well, that you could sustain that percentage growth for new apps at 20% you know, for the next decade. And I guess my question is, is that feasible based on the dollars oh, you're selling okay. in your new apps today? Yeah, okay. No, our expectation would be uh, maintain your overall growth rate. Which, which implies new apps coming back a bit. Yeah. 
sorry, so just to be clear, maintain the growth rate at 20% or allow for a, a moderation oh. in that growth over the next five to 10 years? Allow for moderation, yeah. Maintain the overall growth right. rate for the business. So, you, you know, where we are on that curve right now, you'd be looking for hospital consumables in total to be um, kind of low teens. And so you'd be looking for new apps, to, you know, to maintain that working its way towards mid to high teens. Got it. So maintain for the overall business. Yeah, you don't need new apps running at 20% to do that. And, and you run into the law of large numbers anyway. Thanks. Thanks, Saul. Uh, next questions come from Adrian Orbon at Jarden. Oh, good morning. <clears throat> Just coming back to, um, I guess, the new app consumables across the first half, was there any price increases to sort of call out or are they sort of more to be implemented um, in the second half? Um, so look, Adrian, with the exception of two or three years in COVID, during COVID, um, price increases are relatively normal for us and it's the ongoing phenomena. Um, we might have given the wrong impression. We put that on hold during the, um, you know, in the eye of the storm. Nobody had time for that. But we've reverted to our normal pattern of pricing increases um, probably for the last two years. Yep. Probably about the last two years been as normal. Um, and typically for us in the hospital business, that might kind of net out at maybe 1% a year, something like that um, on average. Over the last year or two, given high inflation and high, high um, you know, price increases and the like, it's been a bit higher than that in terms of price increases. But for our numbers, you know, the growth rates are still pretty much dominated by volume rather than price. Yeah. Okay, that's um, that's helpful. And in terms of like, um, like on the um, invasive consumables, like I think I sort of. Um, I think my math is right. Like the growth there looked like about eight percent. Um, is that is the that, that seems quite strong to me? Is that like a reasonable portion coming from these new geographies? A um, little bit of everything, um, I think. In that, and yeah, I think you know we agree that does look quite strong. Probably two pointers there. It's probably pointing to lapping a destocking period. That's another okay. strong indicator that um, destocking is occurring. And then some anecdotals where. You know, part of this market uses an alternative technology called HMEs, heat and moisture exchanges. Some anecdotals around during COVID, customers didn't have the time for the extra patient maintenance that an HME requires, so they switched to humidifiers and some anecdotal evidence that a fair proportion of those aren't switching back. Now they've seen the light. Okay. So... The, so um Okay, so so on that one, destocking potentially in the on the base, yeah, that you're lapping, and then some share gain over HMA. Yeah, maybe. Yep. Okay, um, and then just in terms of um, <clears throat> just in terms of the gross margin, um, like I guess it was a bit of a highlight. Well, certainly the commentary was a bit of a highlight at the invest today. Like, how, how, is there any update you can kind of provide on sort of traction on some of these cycle time improvements that you've been tr trying to implement or trying to generate and implement? Yeah, yeah, look, Adrian, um, hopefully the, the key message uh, at the Investor Day was we've got thousands of these continuous improvement projects going on all the time and we actually see the benefit hitting the gross margin if it's a cycle time improvement, the benefit might not come this year, it might not come even next year, it might be another year before, or sort of two years before we see it. It comes when the volume gets to a point where we would then have to add another line or add another shift and add cost in there to keep making more volume. You then get the benefit of improved cycle time by not needing to do that. So it's sort of a, a reducing the cost increase that you need to do. Um, so it's, it's you know, some of these have a long lead time in terms of starting to see an impact onto the bottom line, but the fact that we do thousands of them, they layer uh, and, and they'll layer each as we go. 
Now we've had a couple of years where we weren't really doing many at all, so we've got a bit of a gap. Uh, so that, that sort of layering effect that's normally, you know, on a, a pretty reasonable trend line, it's going to take a while to get some momentum back to a normal trend line for that. But we're definitely seeing improvements coming out of, out of um, all the projects we're doing. Okay. Um, maybe if I can just say one. Sorry. Sorry, go, Adrian. Um, I just, um, I just wondering if you can comment on like in terms of Salesforce investment into the second half, like maybe um, ex excluding anesthesia. How are you thinking about that? Just as a sort of a way of us thinking about the resource like you're looking to apply against um, the revenue opportunity. Yeah, take that question. Hey. Um, Adrian, I think that you know, in terms of second half, I think most of the, the sales force that we've put on um, has generally been put on um, you know, during the first half. Is that, is that the question you're asking? Well, I'm just trying to get a sense of like whether you you're whether you're still trying to ramp, I guess, the um, the non-anesthesia kind of hospital sales force as you see the opportunity, as you sort of see like a gap in protocolising outside the ICU, all that kind of stuff on OptiFlow. Yeah, I mean, over time, obviously, we are. We continue to invest in the sales force and, and, and some of it in that area there. But I think in terms of second half impact, there's, there's very little. It's very, um, I'll try, try and give you some clarity on that. BA, business as usual for us, is adding salespeople kind of as the revenue grows and where the, where the revenue grows. That's business as usual, and we're back to business as usual. Okay. Apart from anesthesia. Cool, thank you. Thanks for your questions, Adrian. Um, next questions come from Matt Montgomery at Forsyth Bar. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I just want to go back to Sol's question, if that's okay. So if I look at full-year guidance, it appears to be implying sort of high single-digit hospital consumables revenue growth, if you, if you take your seasonality comments. Um, firstly, is this correct? And then secondly, um, I just want to get an idea of sustainability of, of that and if you think that's an appropriate growth rate we should be thinking about in the consumables business as a whole. It's just, it's just that it's uh, I mean, slightly lower than what has been delivered historically. Yes. So I think 99% of the answer to that question is that it's about what you're lapping. And um, you know we're still in unusual. The unusual times are still reaching out and ankle tapping us. Um, so this is all about what you're lapping when you're looking at growth rates, and you're lapping a half with a COVID surge in China and um, an RSV surge. So what to make? And you know uh, just as well as we do the complexities of trying to estimate what that impact is. So um, trying to interpret. At the moment, trying to interpret growth on prior periods, especially when you get to our second half, I think is quite challenging. So, you know, I probably, we're certainly looking more at sequential growth, half on half, rather than on PCP growth. And that'd be what I'd point you to. Yeah, but I suppose another way of asking is do you think FY23 was a fair base when you sort of net out 1H and 2H? Um, from the destocking in 1H and then the benefits you got in, in 2H might be another way of asking. Um, look, I'll, I'll give you our best guess on that for the year, but I just want to, just to make sure we're on the same page, you know, the complexities of doing this. Um, you know, when we see an event like a COVID surge, we see our volume jump up during that surge time. For us, that's against possible seasonality that would have been occurring anyway. That's against future. That's against growth due to clinical change that would have been occurring anyway. If it was last year, it's probably lapping a period that had either a surge or a, or a lull in it. So first of all, you know, you need to estimate how much of that jump in volume do you think is due to the event. Next thing you need to do is go, well, how much of that volume do I think was used? Um, and then the next thing you need to consider is how are my customers going to behave with their destocking period? Over what time frames are they going to want to be conservative? So the sum all gets really too hard. And the other thing I'd 
I'd like to highlight is when you make that estimation, it kind of has a double whammy. It's, it's a, quite a sensitive number to, to estimate because you know, if, you take, if, a, if you think a customer's overstocked in FY23, that's volume you don't get in FY24, and then you lap it as well. So it's quite a sensitive number. So I wanted to give you the whole big context to say, well, look, we think when you net all those out, um, FY23 for the year in hospital consumables is probably light by somewhere around $10 million. And I want to put the context around the somewhere around $10 million. I mean, I don't really like giving that number, but as long as it's understood, boy, that is best guess. Um, we're confident that 23 is light, but the exact magnitude, you know, is getting speculative. Yeah, no, that's, that's clear. I appreciate the colour. Um, just on anaesthesia, um, I'd just be interested if you could provide any comments on sort of the mix within the new apps number that was reported in the half and then just any qualitative comments more bro more broadly with respect to the early rollout in, in the US, etc. Sure. Proportionally, it's a bit under 10% growing really strongly. In terms of rollout in North America, I mean, it's looking pretty familiar to us compared to other rollouts. Yep, we're just on board of Salesforce. Um, you know, that's gone well. You know, obviously we're getting those to peep up the speed. We're seeing um, good results at an early stage coming from there. So we're very pleased with the role that actually uh, met. Thanks for the questions, Matt. Um, next questions come from uh, Sean Lumman at Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead, Sean. Uh, good morning, everyone. Hope all is well. A uh, couple of questions. So on slide nine, the 48% growth in people associated with manufacturing and ops. I don't know, if, uh, Lewis, you could characterise how you see that going forward. And, and what's been the, the unit cost? How, how has that changed um, for labour? Um, well, generally, labour around the world, we're in a fairly high um, inflation environment. Um, we put that in the business as usual category. You know, we have increase in labour costs. We do have it every year, and you know that needs to be offset by gains in efficiency. So uh, I, I put that into the back to business as usual, but with um, maybe a bit more on the labour increase than you know you would normally see. And then the other part of the question: per unit cost per labour. In terms of you've answered that the first part. Okay. First part in terms of number of people going forward in manufacturing. We would see number of people going manufacturing sort of similar to you know what in line, what re in line yeah. with revenue growth. So. Yeah. Typically, the the history is our the number of people is proportional to the revenue, and then you're offsetting labour so increases by Sure, thank you. And just um, monitoring quite carefully what's going on with China with the spike in respiratory disorders. Uh, no new or novel strains discovered yet, but I'm wondering if you're starting to see uh, inbound or, or you know, with respect to potential surging orders or anything to comment on the, the current situation in China. Yeah, with the current news over the last few weeks, we haven't seen any um, reaction or response in our volumes to that. Perfect. Thank you. That's all I have. Thanks, Sean. Uh, next questions come from uh, Marcus Curley at UBS. Please go ahead, Marcus. Uh, uh, good morning. I, I just uh, could we just start with you know, the flu season assumption for the second half, uh, Lewis? Is, is it fair enough to assume it's similar to last year? Yeah. Well, you know, incorporated in guidance is within the range of normal seasonality, so kind of implicit in that assumption is uh, flu season within the normal range also. Which is what you got last year? It's within the, like last year was one year, so we're talking about the range, historic range of seasonality that we were looking at. Yeah, within the historic range. 
Yeah, like you, you haven't given a range on revenue guidance. You've given a point estimate. So, um, I, I suppose. Oh, it, I think is is you it, should think of it as a range. Yeah, the word approximately. Um, I'm going to rely on the word approximately quite heavily, Marcus. <laughs> we, we can, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, let's, let's move on. Um, uh, you know, uh, obviously there's been a bit of noise around. Um, yeah, changes in working practice at Auckland, you know, in terms of overtime over the weekends. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what's, uh, what's the, uh, I suppose, the background to that? Uh, we haven't necessarily seen sort of potential strike action at Fish and Parkle for decades, so it just sort of seems a little unusual. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I agree with that. Um, and we're currently in mediation process with the union, so we're on a sensitive topic. Um, probably might be best to leave that one there, Marcus, actually. Okay, does that mean I get another question? Yep, you can have, you can have another <laughs> one. <mate. laughs> I don't think I can count that answer, no. Oh, okay, great. Um, could you talk a little bit about um, how much um, home respiratory support yeah, was growing in the half or, or a contribution to the to the home care result, please? Sure. I mean, I'd call it solid growth. Um, you're still talking somewhere a bit under or around 10% of the home care business, so it's small. And when we talk about home home respiratory support, we're including my Evo, we're talking about the hardware, so it has that lumpy characteristic. But um, I'd say the overall summary of H1 is we feel like we're making good progress. Yes. Fair comment? Yep. I'm looking at Paul Shearer when I say that. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Margus. Uh, next question has come from Christian Bell at Jardin. Please go ahead, Christian. Uh, yeah, good morning. So my question, my first question is um, in relation to new apps growth, in particular um, high flow growth. Just wondering where has that come from in terms of hospital setting? Like, has that has it been predominantly from the ICU, or you, or was it sort of more increasing utilisation outside the ICU, perhaps in the ward or the ED? Um, it's a spread. It's a spread, um, Christian. It's you know, obviously some in ICU, um, some in the emergency room. Yeah, you know, we work in different parts of the hospital, so you know we're we're seeing um, you know penetration and growth in you know a lot of those areas, the wards, emergency room, ICU. So can we assume in the half it was um, pretty even across um, um, all, all of those three settings? Or uh, I'd say it's it, it's. Um, off a smaller base, it would be growing faster in the non-ICU areas. Okay, cool. Um, and then, so my second question is, um, so your lift-in operating margin was um, basically like flight with the gross margin um, uplift. To get to back to your target operating margin of 30% is, is going to require some um, better sales rep efficiency. So just wondering when you're expecting to start seeing that efficiency come through from, I guess, um, following on from the first question, the wider adoption across the hospital and ultimately more protocolisation? Uh, yeah, look, we, we sort of tried to flag uh, in May that we were expecting, uh, you know, quite high uh, growth rate in OPEX this year because we had lower growth last year. Uh, we definitely will be looking to get leverage out of our OPEX spend uh, over the coming years to help assist us getting to that operating margin target. But we assess sort of coming into each year what we need to do as a business in terms of investment in say the anaesthesia sales force where we do actually need to keep investing heavily in that and we're getting then efficiencies through the rest of the team as they get up you know, onboarded and up to speed and, and getting traction in the hospitals that way. So we de definitely are focused on that um, and would, you know, anticipate start seeing in the next sort of year or two uh, some leverage coming out of the OPEX spend. Yeah, Christian, I would say, uh, you know, our history and our normal mode of operating is that we take leverage from our sales expenses yeah. and we've just had a couple of years of not doing that and we're back to business as usual from here on out. 
Right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Christian. Uh, next questions come from Matthew Chevrier at City. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, my first one was um, in the prepared remarks, you flagged that raw material and manufacturing costs were at wins to gross margin. Um, I was just wondering what you know uh, portion of the manufacturing costs you were talking about. Uh, and have these gotten worse um, or better, um, or is it just that you're, you're you're focusing on them now that you're largely done with freight costs? Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, Matthew. Um, materials are about half of our cogs, um, just to give a, a, a bit of size of of that, um, and we have seen um, the inflation impact of our materials uh, not have the same um, speed, I guess you would say, in this financial year. What we are seeing and what I've sort of tried to explain a bit in uh, over the past six to 12 months is whilst we're paying for these raw materials and over the past 12 months have been buying them in at higher costs, they sit in inventory and raw materials. They then have to get converted into a finished good shipped to our offices around the world and then sold to a customer. It's only at that end sale that we that you see it and we all see it in our gross margin. And that's where we're starting to see that flowing into the gross margin this half. But this is sort of product that we have purchased almost 12 months ago that's finally been converted and, and, and ended up sold. So this cost inflation of materials will go on um, until all of that has sort of fleshed through and that we're on, that we've got the cost of our product for everything, fully incorporating that. Um, but we we definitely aren't seeing as big an increase as now as we were, say, six, 12 months ago. Uh, thanks for those Questions that question, Matthew. Um, seem to have lost you, but uh, we'll go to the next question, uh, which comes from David Bailey at Macquarie. Yeah, thanks. Good morning. Um, just, um, I think um, I'm a bit new to um, uh, Fisher and Piper, but when you're talking about traditional seasonality and consumables, if I look at fiscal 18 and 19, it's about 46% in the first half. If I go back over longer periods, it's closer to 48, 49. Just want to understand exactly what um, you're referring to as to a traditional seasonal pattern in terms of consumable sales into the first half, second half split. Yeah, that's exactly the sum we'd be doing, David. I mean, you're right on the money. And um, in terms of the process, um, I tend to think of it as second half over, first half. You know, to try and sort of backsolve your numbers, but you know you're following the exact process that we're referring to. I mean, that's the history, and right now that's probably the most reliable data point we've got. Second half over first um, half. Just I wouldn't look at FY20 because you got COVID kicking in H2, uh, 19, 18, 17 from memory are fairly normal. I think 16 is a year we went direct in the US. So I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't count the anomalies in that data. 15 or 16 was we went direct in the US. So there's some timing in that one. Yeah. Okay. So just to be clear, I mean 46% is probably a better number than 48. Because it can move it around. Yes, quite I a think bit. so. Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. good for. Okay, that's good. 46, 46, 60, whatever it is. Um, and it's in terms of that OSA, um, very strong OSA mask growth, um, assuming resupply is relatively flat, you've got new patient growth, a bit of price and market share. Um, just wondering if you could give us a bit of a sense as to um, the various contributions of those to, to mask growth, so new patient growth versus market share and maybe a bit of price, just trying to break down that revenue growth number a little bit. Well, boy, we don't really have that visibility, David. Um, you know, a mask is a mask, and then trying to work out where it's come from is one step too far, I think. Unless, Paul, if you want to give a well, I think some the, colour to that. I, I think that the, you know, I think it was, you know, more C, CPAP supply freeing up yep. obviously meant um, 
more patients, so it's probably been you know some new increase in new patients. And I think we've benefited from that, um, David. And I think that um, you know we've got no idea about market share gains and stuff really, but you know I think with the growth rates we've got, and you know with and with the products if we've got the more full, we're probably getting some gain there too. So they might be the drivers of first yeah. half growth. Maybe to try and help you, when we model it and when we think about it, we do think about growth coming from new patient starts and um, we think that the installed base is sticky Yeah. when we're, when we're modelling it. Another couple. No, that's, that's kind of consistent with how we're thinking about new patient stuff as well, so that's fine. Thanks. Thanks, David. Look, that um, brings us um, up to time, everyone. Um, just a reminder that if you have any follow-up questions, um, please feel free to reach out to, to me or Hayden Brown. Um, and I'll now turn over to Lewis for the final word. Okay, well, look, um, thanks, Marcus. And thanks to everyone for joining us on the call. Thanks for your questions, as always. Um, a special thanks also, as always, go to the people of Fisher & Paykel, as well as our customers and our suppliers. Thanks for the work you do that makes our business successful and so that patients around the world can benefit. And as always, um, I would like to thank any shareholders on the call for your continued support of the company. Thank you. This concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.